How many of you ever would have thought you'd be getting that sex talk from me? Am I right? <laughs> Some of you guys walk in this morning like, is this a mistake? Did they realize who's speaking this morning? I, <laughs> I am going to have to stick much closer to my script today because I feel like often when I teach, I'll, you know, just kind of off the cuff humor. I'll just kinda, I don't think we need to go there today. I'm going to stick to the pre-written in jokes only. Uh, So we're going to do this, right? We're going to talk about sex in church. Now, for some of you, this might be a first-time experience talking about this in church. For some of you, maybe it's happened before. Here's the thing that we need to understand right from the start is that it is going to be awkward. So turn to your neighbor and just say, this is going to be awkward. This is going to be a little awkward. Now, look the other way and say, but it's going to be okay. Okay, it's going to be okay. It's going to be a little awkward, but it's going to be okay. I really do think that God has something to teach us. Now, depending on where you are at in life, you're going to have very different reactions to a series on sex. Married couples without kids are like, yeah, we got this. We got this taken care of. We know know how this thing works. Married couples with kids are like, been there, done that. Okay, let's move on to the next chapter of our life. Teenagers are like, please, God, no, get me out of this building right now. I have no interest in talking about this with my mom or dad sitting right next to me. And this isn't a new thing. We're actually not very good about talking about sex in church. As a matter of fact, a lot of us are pretty confused about what the actual intention of sexuality is in the first place. Let me, let me show you what I mean. If I asked you the question, when did you become a sexual being? I don't want you to answer, answer this out loud. Oh, just kidding. Turn to your neighbor and tell them. No, just kidding. Don't tell your neighbor. That was my first off the cuff. See, I got to nix that at the start. Basically, just the question is more this. When did your sexuality first have any influence on who you are as a person? Would you say it was become when you became a teenager, like at puberty, when you're going through that phase of life? Would that be the time? Or maybe as a young adult, maybe it's when you got married. Uh, the truth is, though, that you were born a sexual being. Everyone is. That's how God designed us. It's been part of us from the beginning, from the moment we entered this earth. God designed us in our totality as people, making all parts of us to fit together in a way that reflects his unique likeness in us and through us, and that includes our sexuality. The Bible is very clear about this. Listen to what the Psalms say about a grand designer forming us with his own will, fashioning us with his own hands. It says in Psalm 139, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. The scriptures then go on to remind us that we did not design ourselves. We were created by God, our divine designer. Again in Psalms, this is in chapter 100, it says, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Now, historically, Christians have minimized often or sometimes even painted sexuality as sinful or at other times, we've just refused to address it at all. I know that was my approach as a kid. Like, I didn't want to talk about it with anybody. I didn't want to hear anything about it. And especially not from my parents or from my youth pastor or my pastor. I just didn't want to have that talk. Every time that topic came up, I would be like, la, 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 la. Like, I'm not listening. I don't have any interest in talking about this subject with any of you. 
And for only about a year and a half of my middle school years, I was actually homeschooled. The middle school that I was going to just was like a really bad experience for me. And so my mom said, hey, let's homeschool you. So we did that for half of seventh and then eighth grade. It just so happened that for me, the sex education part of my education came in that seventh and eighth grade time period. So you already feel awkward like if you're in a public school and you have a teacher that's trying to talk to you about these things. I had my mom. (laughs) So it was way, way worse. Same approach with her. I was like, I don't want to talk about this with you. Fortunately, my mom found this thing. It was a set of tapes at that time uh, from a guy named James, James Dobson. And he kind of talked through adolescence and what that was all about and talked through your sexuality and how we were designed. And so that was great. That was a win-win. My mom, you know, I didn't have to talk to her about it. She still got the win because I was learning and I was listening to the tapes. But I can remember specifically one day I had listened to one of the topics and the the teaching material had recommended that, hey, after your son or daughter listens to this, you should then engage in conversation with them. And so my mom, after I was done, she came in and she was like, um, you know, Dr. Dobson said that maybe after this one, that maybe we should talk a little bit about this. And I was like, nope, I'm good, mom. I'll see you later. I just walked out of the room. I, I was done with the conversation, you know. And to this day, when my mom says, Matt, we need to talk, I'm like, la, 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 la. Like, I'm not having that conversation with you, even at 40 years old. I'm just not ready for it. But the culture around us is very different, right? I mean, the culture around us doesn't avoid the topic of sex. We, you know, the topic of sex is very open. It's out there. It's talked about. Where maybe you and I, and sometimes even the church itself, might shy away from the conversation, our culture is at the opposite extreme. The world around us normalizes it, uh, publicizes it, encourages everyone to be doing it, married or not. But this isn't a new thing. Our culture is very similar to cultures past in that through the ages, the culture has idolized sex, misused it, and really misinterpreted what the purpose of sex really is. Misinterpreted its original beauty and intent that God has for it. See, too often our sexual nature is a distorted reflection of God's intention for us because of promiscuity and pornography, and other ways that we engage our sexuality that's not what God designed, we betray our hearts and our minds, and it creates this distorted view of what sexuality really is. But beneath the longing for sex that's found in erotic media, uh, pages of romance novels, like we think we're trying to satisfy an urge. What we're really trying to satisfy is this deep longing to be loved in an intimate way, to know someone deeply and to have them know us as well. And really, to give love as someone created in the image of God. The Old Testament was originally written, for the most part, in the Hebrew language. And there's a Hebrew word that is yada, which is used to describe Adam knowing Eve in the act of sexual intimacy. Yada means contact. It means intimacy. It means relationship. For those of you that are a similar age to me, yada, yada, yada has a whole different meaning for you when it comes to this series Seinfeld. Like, I can't hear the word yada without hearing George Costanza say, and then yada, yada, yada. Interesting. But yada also refers to our knowing God. So it's not just intimacy between man and wife, or man and woman, but it also refers to our knowing God. Yada God isn't just a theoretical knowledge of God, or like a book smart knowledge of God. What it is, it's an experiential knowledge of God, to be known by him and to know him well. That's what yada is. The point that Yada makes is that intimacy is both a spiritual and a physical experience. Our longing to know and be known is deeply rooted 
in our sexuality and in our spirituality. We can only experience true fulfillment when we know and we are deeply known by God. And that's precisely why God designed our sexuality the way that he did. Our sexuality can either reflect our creator or it can become an empty pursuit of longing to feel loved and known deeply by someone else. Now this series is meant to help us understand that we were created as sexual beings by design and that God wants to redeem our understanding of his design so that we can truly enjoy it as intended. And sexuality is not just sex. So don't make that mistake today that when I refer to sexuality, I just mean the act of sex. Sexuality is much more than that. God created male and female to help each other, to reflect God's image, to grow into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And if we settle for a shallow understanding of sexuality, that sex is, a sexuality is just the act of sex, then it will at best leave us feeling empty when that act is completed And at worst, it will cause us and those that we share life with, it will cause us deep hurt and harm. So what we're going to talk about today is that God designed our sexuality, number one, to reflect his image. So go ahead and grab your program guides if you want to fill in the blanks today. The first blank is to reflect his image. A passage that probably a lot of you are familiar comes to us from Genesis 1.27 where it says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Male and female were created intentionally different to reflect God's image in different ways. He decided to display unity in diversity, that in our diversity we still show his image. God created our sexuality on purpose. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't something he came up with last minute. It was something intentional. Our bodies are part of that sexuality, the way that he designed us. Our physical bodies tie us to the notion of relating to others. That's part of what our bodies are all about. And to God through the lens of your sexuality. And so that's why we really feel like having a healthy, God-designed view of what sexuality really is, is so important. That's why we're giving a whole series to it. See, Genesis 1 gives us this wide-angle view of God and his creating work in the beginning. But then Genesis chapter 2 helps us kind of zoom in on that same account. So I want to read this passage. You can follow along in your program guide this morning. But listen to the detail it gives about how God created mankind with, se- with a sexuality, both woman and man. Starting in verse 18, it says, The Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all of the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed the place up with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So this is God's design, that the other gender would help you where you are weak, that we would be helpers to each other to become stronger in our relationship with God. That's the intention of marriage, is to draw you closer to God. You know, God takes marriage so seriously uh, that it's always been his metaphor, his incubator for a loving, growing relationship with him. Uh, There's a pastor and author named Andy Stanley that wrote a great book 
called Love, Sex, and Dating that I would recommend to any of you. Uh, One of the quotes I want to mention out of that this morning is he has a quote that says, We as Christians believe the mysterious link between sex and intimacy is the result of divine design. I mean, think about it. It took something or someone with extraordinary relational capacity and imagination to design the human sexual experience. I don't think that evolution is that smart or relationally savvy. That's out of Love, Sex, and Dating by Andy Stanley. Here's the other question, though. Is that I've talked a lot about marriage so far. What if I am single? Does a passage like this mean that I'm, I'm, I'm incomplete if I'm single? No, not at all. Throughout the New Testament, we actually see singleness affirmed, even promoted at times. Jesus really was one that paved the way for non-romantic, cross-gender relationships by calling people in the family of faith sisters and brothers. As a single person, you need to cultivate those kinds of sibling relationships with the people around you in healthy and holy ways. Cross-gender relationships are a gift, and we need them because they point us to Christ in a more holistic manner. That doesn't necessarily mean we need to experience that in the context of marriage for us to have meaningful relationships. We need to have honor and purity in the relationships to maintain their, their integrity. So you might be single right now by choice, choosing to be single either for a season or some of you maybe even as a life choice. You've just chosen to say, I'm going to be single. We should not be embarrassed or not talking about that. We should be applauding you for that. You can serve God in your singleness in ways that those of us that are married just cannot do. And so that's exciting. And I, I, encourage, I applaud you for that. And whether it's just for a season or it's long-term for you that you've made that commitment, I would just encourage you to use your singleness to pursue God, to serve the people around you well, to draw people to him. Pete Scazzaro talks a lot about what he calls a theology of singleness in his recent book, Emotionally Healthy Leadership. He says this, from seasonal singleness to life choice singleness, both are valid and can become rich expressions of a person's uh, sexuality. Embracing your person and gender God created you to be helps you move forward on the pathway of knowing and being known by God and others. The truth is, like I said, there's ways that you as a single person can serve God right now that those of us that are married or married with kids simply can't. So embrace that. Jump in all the way. Enjoy the opportunity that you have to pour your abilities, your gifts, your talents, not just into your career, into your advancement, but into God's kingdom, to the building of his church, to the spreading of the message of Christ. I just want to say a prayer real quick for those of you that are here today that are single, that God would affirm you in your singleness, that you would see the ways that he can use you uniquely right now uh, in this phase of life that you're in. So let me pray for you. God, thank you for every person that is here today that is single. There are some that are single uh, by choice that they have chosen to say for this season, Uh, I'm just going to follow God exclusively. There's some maybe in this room that have said, that's going to be my life choice, is that I'm going to exclusively follow God. I'm not going to jump into uh, a relationship with somebody else. God, there's also the possibility that there are some this morning that are single, but that is not by choice, that they deeply desire to have a relationship with someone else. Well, God, for each of these that are single, I just pray, God, that you would help them to find your grand design in their singleness that they would recognize that there are ways that they can serve you right now that are unique to their singleness. God, I pray that here at Daybreak we would never make any single person feel like they're in some way a second-rate citizen to somebody that's married. That, God, each one of us are so valuable to your kingdom and to the spread of your gospel 
we thank you so much that you've blessed us, blessed us with single people that can be all about serving you and following you, uh, following your direction for their life. So God, I pray that you would encourage them this morning, uh, give them the affirmation that they need to feel like, hey, this is a series that's not just for married people, but it's for me. It's for me, that God has a design for my sexuality too in my singleness. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So whether you're single or you're married today or you're somewhere in between, know that you have been designed as a sexual being. That's how God designed you. You are reflecting the very image of God and his longing for an intimate relationship with those he has created in his image. You know, the craving of the soul is to know and be known, to love and to be loved. So God designed us with sexuality to reflect his nature, but also, number two, to be instrumental in our spiritual group, spiritual growth. That's the next set of blanks there for you, to be instrumental in our spiritual growth. So in 1 Thessalonians, it says this, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And here's an important part here in verse 3 and 4. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or a sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. So over and over in the Bible, attending to our sexuality is linked to the pathway of sanctification or being made holy, growing to become more like Jesus. Our sanctification and our sexuality are connected. First Thessalonians makes this connection clear for us. The goal is to learn how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit as he helps us work through our sexuality. A number of times in the New Testament, our sexuality is related to our sanctification. But what's that about? I mean, that's kind of weird. Sexuality and holiness in the same sentence. It, It doesn't feel very sanctified at all, does it? I mean, why is that? It's because we've allowed sex to be devalued and normalized by the culture around us. Uh, That we've been told it's all about performance and achievement which leads us to believe the act itself might be unholy in some way. But that's not what the Bible says. It says that our sexuality and our sanctification are inextricably linked together. Now, the word sanctification in the Bible means to be set apart, and set apart in two ways. Set apart to God, which means you're set apart for an intimate relationship with him, but then you are also set apart for God, and that's in order to accomplish his mission in this world through your unique contribution That includes your sexuality, your sexual nature. So being set apart to God and for God, that's what sanctification is. Now, the work of sanctification is a work of God's grace. It's something that God gives us as a gift. And it's both a crisis and it's also a process. And what I mean by that is that there is a moment where your journey of sanctification begins. That in the moment when you invite Jesus to have lordship of your life, when you give him direction of your life, when you invite him into your heart, when you start that journey with him, There is a moment there where he makes you holy. You are then seen as holy before God. But then you are not perfect. You are just made holy. 
you are going to continue to become more and more like him as you continue to live and walk with him and work with the partnership of the Holy Spirit. So there's a work that God does in the moment that's in that crisis moment where you go, God, I need you. And he makes you holy in that moment. But then there's an ongoing process of becoming more and more like him that takes a lifetime. It's a process of faith. So God does this work of sanctification. He does the work, but then it's our job to work on the awareness and the cooperation that we are choosing, we are continuing to make choices that lead us closer to his divine path for us, that we're surrendering to the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And this includes our sexuality. The Bible says that God wants to sanctify us wholly, wholly. That's all of us. The whole being needs to be sanctified. And because we were made in his image and his likeness, so our sexual nature is related to our, our identity. In 1 Corinthians 6.18, the Apostle Paul says that sexual sin is like no other sin. Now, if you grow up in Sunday school, you might be surprised to hear that, right? Because we always talk about in Sunday school, all sin is sin to God. No matter what the sin is, it's sin, it's sin. No, it's no different. All sin is sin, right? Well, actually, what 1 Corinthians 6.18 here says that actually this sin is a little bit different. It's not different in the penalty for that sin. It is your right. It is accurate to say that all sin is sin to God, but it's different because of how it affects us, its effect on us directly. This is the way that Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 6.18. He says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Here's the way that Andy Stanley puts it in his book. He says, when we ignore God's relational purpose, for sex, when we rip sex out of its divinely designed relational context, we hurt ourselves. After all, sex is not just physical. Sexual sin is like no other sin because it bridges both body and soul. So what do you and I do when we suffer the pain caused by tearing our sexuality out of its committed, relational, God's image-bearing context? What do we do when our sexuality kind of feels like this ball of yarn and it's unraveling and ultimately it's painful and it's shameful? Let's say that this yarn represents your sexuality made fearfully and wonderfully by God himself. Throughout your life, you share your sexuality in many ways, both healthy and and unhealthy with other people. And over time, you might have a hard time knowing what to do with it and at times even feel tied up in knots. So here's what I'd like to do. I'm going to throw this, and I want somebody to catch it, all right? So I feel real confident that if I throw it down in this general area right here, it's going to get caught. Oh, look at that. Beautiful. Nice catch. All right, now I want you to take that ball of yarn, and I just want you to toss it somewhere on the other side of the room. Oh, wait. Sorry. Let me clarify. Hold on to, hold on to the string, and then toss it. There you go. All right, somebody pick that up over there. Maybe toss it into the back corner of the room back over here. Okay, nice job, nice job. All right, bring it right back up here towards the front. Oh, that, wow. I I don't know what to say about that throw. All right, toss it around maybe two more times. Let's just get a good jumbled mess of yarn going around the room. Okay, oh, nice, well done. I love it, I love it. The backwards toss. All right, so let's say that this represents our sexuality. So along the way, there have been different people and places that have been affected by the choices we've made with our sexuality. So I'm not just talking about, again, we're not just talking about the act 
of sex. We're talking about anything that leads us away from God's design for our sexuality. So when we look at things that just are not God's design for, for sexuality, that's going to be one of the things. When we place relationships on a pedestal above God and we think that that's going to solve us, that's taking our sexuality out of God's design. And so we end up with this jumbled mess, right? Kind of looks like this yarn where it goes all over the place. And now we look at this mess and we think, man, how could I ever possibly unravel this mess that I've created? We become frustrated because we're like, man, this is just a big jumbled mess. Well, what can we do? One of the things that we tend to do is that we would just metaphorically take a pair of scissors and just kind of cut it off here, cut it off there, cut it off here. And now everyone that's been affected by these choices that we've made and ourselves as well, we end up with these just cut off pieces of yarn. No longer any relationship with the people around us because we've just chosen to say, I made a mistake there, I don't want to deal with it, I'm going to cut it off. But the other approach that we could take is to slowly work through the process of asking God to guide us through unraveling this big mess that we've created. It'll be a little bit more difficult. Like if we were going to do it this morning, it would require some of you to step over top of the yarn and go underneath of the yarn and go to the other side of the room and wind our way back and forth and back and forth. We would have to do it with somebody giving direction to the process, right? Like maybe me, I'd be standing up on this stage and watching and say, okay, now you go over here and you go over there. And this is really the only way that we can unravel it in the way that God has designed it. Now, or the way that God can unravel it for us. So if you've got a piece of yarn, you can just drop it. We'll pick it up afterward. We're not going to wind it up at the moment. Um, But this is what happens when it comes to our sexuality is that there's all these stops along the way and we can make the choice of either saying, I'm just going to cut it off and just let everybody that's been harmed by this, including myself, just stay harmed. That's what I'm going to do. Or we can say, God, I want to do the hard work with you. I need your Holy Spirit to do this work in me, and I'm willing to work hard at it. It's going to take some effort. It's going to take me having some uncomfortable conversations with the people that I have wronged, that have been a part of the the decisions that I've made. But I do believe that if I trust you, if I communicate with you, if I cooperate with you, if I ask you for direction, that God, you can lead me out of this tangled mess of my sexuality. Why not take time during this series to let God untangle some of the mess for you? Probably for everyone in this room, we have differing levels of how we have abused or distorted our our view of our sexuality. We've made different choices along the way that have led us down a path that is not God's design for us. For some of you, you might be just at the beginning of that journey. And so the beautiful thing is, is that you haven't strayed too far off of God's design. And with just a simple conversation with him, you can get right back on that path of allowing the Holy Spirit to guide you and direct you. But the beauty is this, too. You could be here today saying, my sexuality is a mess. I've made so many bad choices, I don't even know where to start. Your sanctification process begins today. If you invite God to take control of that and help, you lead, help lead you through the restora- restoration of his design for your sexuality, today you will be made holy. That's what I said the sanctification process is about. Today, you will be made holy. And yes, he'll lead you through a difficult path that eventually will lead you into better choices for your sexuality and also that lead you closer to him in holiness. But today, you are made holy. And you've got a lifetime to work through uh, the result or, or work through the next steps in your relationship with him. And God's word tells us that our sexuality was designed to reflect God and to grow us up in his grace. We can only do that when we surrender to God 
and accept the help of our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the last passage that I want to read to you today. It comes again out of Ephesians. It says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. One translation of this passage says, be imitators of God and live a life of love. That's what it means to imitate God, is to live a life of love, to love and to be loved as a person that is created in God's image. We all long for that. But at times, loving is hard work. It requires untangling that ball of yarn. Surrendering our sexuality to God seems like a tall order to fill, but I promise you it's worth it when you give God that part of who you are. He begins to untangle things, and what you are left with is that he's able to reveal the true image, the true beauty of your identity that he built into you from the beginning. Guys, if you would, train your eyes on the screen, and we're going to watch a video that I think brings a beautiful picture to what we're talking about. Love. 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 Love in this world is pretty messed up. It asks for a lot and it never returns the favor. Love in my world? Well, it brings more trouble than it's worth. In my world, love has felt like... Sabotage. It flees into the night. It it, it leaves at the first sign of trouble. And it never feels like I love you no matter what. Because love in my world, it leaves. And when it leaves, there's only disaster left. Oh, promise is a lot, but it doesn't deliver much. It breaks hearts. I've picked up the pieces of my broken heart one too many times. So I build walls. Love isn't worth the tears. The pain, the loneliness. The surrender. It's exhausting. Even when you try to do love right, love fails. I have made a mess out of love. What good is it? You can't help me. Why love it all? Why do I even try to love? Why sacrifice to carry the burden? Why? 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 Because there is a perfect love. Perfect love that can end the disaster. A perfect love that can heal the brokenhearted. There is a love that saved those who are dwelling in this messed up world. God tells us about it because we wouldn't recognize it if it showed up on our own doorstep. It's a love that takes its time. It's profound. It doesn't brag or badmouth. God's love is like a shield that we know will never leave us. That you can trust. Hoping. And you never, ever exhaust it. That's his kind of love. And it never fails. And while we were keeping records of wrongs and self-seeking and being unkind, he still died for us. How can I love like that? How can I love like that? How can I love like that? Because I am loved like that. I can love well, not because of me but because 
he first loved me. I want to ask you to take out your response cards this morning. That last part of that video definitely hits that I can love not because of me, but because God loves me. That we've experienced true love like that. If you have yet to experience God's love in an intimate way, I want to invite you to take your first step towards him today. Maybe you have made some choices that have led you along a path that was outside of God's design. Well, today God reaches out to you and he says, I love you. And because of the sacrifice of his son, Jesus, you are now able to have a forgiven relationship with him. So I'd invite you to take that first step. If you're in the room today, though, and you say, hey, I'm, I'm following after Christ, but there's definitely some untangling I need to do, then I would, encourage you, I would encourage you to consider that in the next few moments. Maybe even let us know how we can be praying for you as you allow God to untangle you so that you return to his design for your sexuality. I'm thankful for the opportunity to be here with you today and to be able to teach on this topic because I want you to know that, like, I'm an incomplete design, too. There are times that I make good choices when it comes to God's design for me and for my sexuality, for my relationship with my wife. And there are also times that I don't make good choices. There are things that I need to just ask God, God, unravel that for me. Help me get that untangled so that I can follow closer to you, so that I can more be an imitator of you and live a life of love in the context of my marriage, but also in the context of life. So let's pray together. And then we're going to worship together. But as, as we worship, feel free to write down on the response cards what it is that God is saying to you today and what he might be challenging you with. Lord, I love you. I thank you for the opportunity to honor you today. God, we have been made holy when we enter into relationship with you, when we invite your son's forgiveness, uh, when we invite your forgiveness because of the sacrifice of your son. Uh, but God, we are also still a work in progress. God, help us help our design to more accurately reflect you every day in our wholeness, which includes our sexuality. God, move us towards your design for who you've designed us to be. Uh, we love you so much. It's in your name we pray together. Amen.